Thanks for tuning in to the audio edition of our Sunday sermons. For more information about Cornerstone, visit cornerstonerome.com. Started a new series entitled, um, based on the Ten Commandments, we're calling it Finding the Freedom in the Ten Commandments. And I want you to hear this. I'm going to share briefly the definition of this, and then we're going to get into the message today. I'm not going to recap everything. Go back online and listen to the message from last week. But I'm going to talk to you about the Ten Commandments. This is not a message based on the law of Moses. We are doing standalone messages with each one of these, and we're taking the context from them, and how does it work in our lives today, okay? So last week, I didn't really get into it in depth, but I, we just simply, the first commandment was, have no other gods before me. And I, I said, that's pretty easy. Everybody kind of knows that. But I took the word commandment, and I broke that down a little bit so we could understand what it actually meant. So we don't look at the word commandment in a negative sense. We look at it in a positive sense. And the word commandment simply means the word prescriptions. I'm going to break it down for you very simply today. It's, it's a very quick but the word prescriptions, and we all know what that means. If you go to the doctor, he gives you a prescription. You follow it, and you're supposed to get better. The goal is you get better. That's what a commandment is. It is someone who has been given charge or command to give you something with an expected goal or end that is favorable. That's basically what a commandment is in the Bible. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey and keep my commandments, my prescriptions, it was all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. This is not a negative word. It is a good word. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had the flu or something like that, and the doc gives you a prescription, you thank God for a prescription. If you've ever been sick and gone somewhere and you got some kind of like food poison or whatever, they give you something to make you better. You thanking the Lord for that thing, right? But you got to follow it the way that He gives it to you, or otherwise it doesn't work. If you stop that thing short, it'll come back to bite you even worse the second round. You know what I'm saying, right? So it's prescriptions. That's all it is. The word prescription. It's a great, great word, okay? So today we're going to continue with this series. Today we're going to talk about the second commandment that God gives us, and that is simply this, that we should make no idols, okay? Now in our culture, we'll get to that in a moment. If you want to flip to it, I'll turn to it in a moment. Exodus 20, we're going to read this, but I want you to hear this from the context of, I know that most of you in this room, well, I dare say I'm I think this, I'm pretty confident in this statement, I doubt that any of you in this room have idols in your home that you go home and worship. That's why you're here on Sunday, you're here to worship Jesus. However, there's a reason God said this, and we're going to talk about it. If you take the word do and don't, in the King James it says it like this, thou shalt not, or thou shalt. We don't talk like that. It's, we might say do this or don't do that, right? In our culture, that's kind of common. And the don't is always sounds negative. And it is. If you look at the word don't, it comes across as negative. If I say to you, don't go out that door, that's a negative. If I say to you, do go out that door, it's a positive. It's just the way the, the, the sentence is structured. All right, so let me show you something and show you why the don't is also a blessing. Because if I say don't touch the hot stove, the blessing is you don't get burned. If you think, well, that's negative. I don't like that. And I touch it anyway. Now you got burned. So now are we so smart? No. Let me show you the back of some. This is an image off of a, a bottle. And this is what? Everybody guess what that is? Let's, let's say it out loud like you know what it is. Everybody's got a different term for it. We call it dishwashing liquid. Is that what you guys say? Dish soap. Yeah, it's the stuff that's in the bottle. It's the hand soap kind, right? You know what I'm saying? All right, so I circled something. I want you to see something. I'm going to highlight this red circle right here. So go to the next image here. Can everybody read that? 
I know it's small, but it says, do not use an automatic dishwashers. Now, I don't know why y'all are laughing, except for I bet you I'm not the only one in here that ignored that when they ran out of some cascade and tried this. I was going to give you an illustration about my faux pas, but my kid made it even better this week. My middle child decided she's going to help out the family, you know, the familia, you know, do my part, you know what I'm saying? So she's going to do the dishes. She puts the dishes in the dishwasher, and I guess we didn't clarify which soap is what. And so I get a phone call. It's not from Haley. It's from her, my middle child. Dad, dad. Dad, there's soap coming out the dishwasher. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I said, what? Yeah, and I don't, all I hear is Haley is faint in the background. Haley's saying something. And I was like, oh, you put dishwashing soap. You put the hand soap in the thing. Yeah, Dad, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I said, it's okay, baby. I said, listen, I've done it too. I mean, I've done it too. So Haley took a picture. I want you to look at this. Is, if you've never seen this happen, this is why you don't. That's why you don't put it in there. There's a chemical composite difference between hand soap and dishwashing soap. And I was talking to her on the phone saying, baby, it's okay. I've done it too. I can hear her in the background saying, it don't matter if you've done it before. What do I do? <laughs> so I'm all calm and I can hear in the background. It's not good, right? So I tell her how to, you know, get it. It took 11 cycles to get that soap out of the, you know what I'm saying? Now, come on, raise your hand if you're brave enough to do it this morning. Come on, you've done it too. Raise your hand. Come on, everybody in the room has been. We, the rest of you in the room, you think, well, I've never done that before. Ah, uh, yeah, it's just because you never, it never crossed your mind or you never ran out of dishwasher. I did it when we were married. Like, I was trying to figure out when did I do it. It was actually when we were married in our old house, and we ran out of the stuff. And I thought, well, I know it says not to, but if I just use a teaspoon, it'll probably be okay. A teaspoon is just as bad as a cup. It, it's awful. Don't. Do this or you'll get that. It's a positive statement. So when God says don't, listen to this. He's saying to us this about idols. Exodus 20 and verse 4. You shall not make or don't make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is on heaven above or in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. By the way, he clarifies this because in their culture, and I'll explain in a moment, but these areas right here, these are all the forms of flesh. Idols always are attached to flesh. Just pay close attention to this. Don't make for yourself any idol based on what's in the heavens. You could call the celestial beings, but that's not what he's referring to. Don't make for yourself any idols based on birds. That's one type of flesh. Don't make yourself any idols based on the fish in the sea. That's one type of flesh. Or any of the animals that scurry along the planet, on the land. That's another type of flesh. The fourth type of flesh, Paul calls it this, humans. There's only four types of flesh. Birds, stuff in the water, humans, animals on the land. That's it. You put everything else in those categories. Don't matter what you want to call it, scurry, slimy stuff. If it's on the land, it's an animal. If it's in the water, it's a fish. Uh, Shrimp, fish, whatever. If it swims under there, it's a fish, okay? It's a water issue. Those are idols. These people did this. Now, he says... You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That can sound negative, but it's in a positive sense. He's jealous for you. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. But he says, I'm a jealous God. And be careful, but listen to this statement. 
Because a lot of times we quote this and we say these things, but listen carefully to what God says in his word. I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who what? Now, listen carefully because I don't want to be confused. I want to stop here for a moment. God is not putting iniquity on people who love him. Do you understand that? If, if you're here in this room and you've been told, well, I've got some curse on my life, that, if you're here today, chances are I, I believe you're here because you love God. That's why you came. I don't think anybody's coming here with ulterior motives. I've got other stuff to do. I don't know about you. But, I mean, if I hate God, why am I here? I'm going to play some golf or something, you know? But God does not visit. Listen to what he says. Of those who hate me, the iniquity of the fathers will visit to the third and fourth generation. Watch this, though. But, but he shows loving kindness to thousands, to those who, what? Love me and keep my commandments or prescriptions. So the idea is this. Let me just, I'm going to break it down for you. Like, so you can, this culture, they hated God. Not Israel. The culture they were going into, they hated God. So what God is saying is, if you see something in your family that's gone on for long enough, eventually, usually it's the fourth generation that gets fed up with it. You know what? I mean, if you've seen abuse, great-grandparents, grandparents, mamas, daddies, and you, you get tired of it. Somebody says, enough is enough. But if you love God, how many know that shouldn't be going on in the home? Am I right? God, what he does is he says, iniquities entrap families in cycles. And when you... That is designed for repentance so that people get fed up with this and say, I'm not going to have this in my family. It stops with me. I turn to Jesus. Jesus breaks you free from the curse, and it starts all over with something new under something called Jesus Christ, the, the blessing of God, if you will, versus the curse of what's gone on for generations. That's the simplest way I can say it. Now, you might need prayer and some freedom ministry and some things like that to help you process and for God to heal you up and do some things. Absolutely. But understand this. It is not God that's putting iniquities on people, particularly people who love him. But he does say, okay, if you don't want to listen to me, I'll get hands off. And it'll get so bad that you'll eventually turn to me and then I can heal you. That's the process. And this is why Israel, this happened over and over. If you ever read all the stories, look at Chronicles, Kings, all these places, Samuel, 2 Samuel, you'll see it. There was evil, they repented, there was evil. They repented, there was evil. You know, once they got everything good again, they're like, oh, this is great. They turn against God, evil came back into the camp. You see the cycle, it's continual. This happens in families as well. When he says the third and fourth generation, it's because typically the fourth, they get tired of it. Nobody wants it anymore. More than likely, that's why you're here. More than likely, there's something that you say, I don't want this to pass on to my children. And it doesn't mean that it has to be deep, dark sin. It can be simple things. It can just be attitudes that you had growing up. It could be who you are, your personality for who you are. Maybe it's something you don't want your kids to have. So you say, I don't want that. No, we're not going to pass this on. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So what's the difference in between gods and idols? So in the Old Testament, he said, first commandment, don't have any gods before me. Second commandment, don't make any idols for yourself. Two different things. They both can be worshipped. When they came out of Egypt, it was gods, thousands of gods. So God said, I'm bringing you out of this place filled with other gods that you 
really see them worshiping. You have no real control, but that's who these gods are. They're all worshiping, and as slaves, you serve the gods in which you're enslaved to. Do you understand? So in Egypt, they had no opportunity to do anything else. When God said, I'm bringing you out of this, I'm bringing you into the promised land. That was the plan anyway. It wasn't the wilderness. It was the promised land. I'm going to bring you into a region. He says, listen, be careful because this group is different from that group. They make idols, and they serve those idols. Be careful that when I brought you out of here, you don't make any gods before you, but be also careful when I take you to the promised land, you don't make idols for yourself. Now, how does that apply to us? Because every one of us in this room, you had no control of this, but St. Corinthians teaches us this in 4.4. Satan, who's the god of this world, appearing on the screen for you, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So before you came to Christ, you served a god. You, had no, you really didn't have any control over who you had to serve. You were serving Satan, whether you like it or not. I didn't worship the devil. Let me tell you something. You were in bondage to the devil. If you don't realize that, you can never understand what you've gotten now. I promise you, before Christ, every one of us in this room, you were in bondage to him. And it says this, you're unable to see the glorious light of the good news in that state. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness. That word likeness is image of God. So when you're a Christian, you now can see some things. So what God is saying is this, before Christ, you served gods that you had no control over. You was in servant to, to the enemy, to Satan. But be careful now. Watch this. When I pull you out from under that bondage of the devil, and I send you into the promised land that's good and plenty, and you have more, and you're out from under that, be careful that you don't make for yourself an idol that you worship. Two different things. You have control of this that you make. You didn't have any control of that which you served. Listen to what God says in Genesis 1.26. He says, let us make human beings in our image. That word make is the word create. Same word, and I'll read it to you in a moment. To be like us, and they'll reign over the, watch this, the, watch the four fleshes right here, over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the wild animals on the earth. And obviously he's already mentioned the humans, the four flesh right there again. He says this, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created. Did you hear all that creation going on? The reason why is because God creates things. You and I, we make things. And there's not a person in here, you've never created anything. We like to say, no, you, you make babies, you don't create them. Not to get graphic, but it takes two to tango. You know what I'm saying? Egg and a sperm, right? You didn't make any, you didn't create anything. You made something. But God created it. And no matter what you do, you can go back to cloning sheep. It doesn't matter. People think, ah, we, we created sheep. Look what we've done. No, you didn't. You took a cell from something that was already alive that someone else created, and you made something. You didn't create anything. I make furniture. I don't create it. If I'm going to create it, i got to go all the way back to the seed that planted for the tree, and I don't know how to make a seed. Yeah, it has to be created. You, you, you make things. We make things. You make art. You don't create art. If you're going to create art, you've got to figure out how to create the pastels and the oil paints and everything else. No, no, no. I'm thinking about the simplest term. Think about this. Have you ever had anyone say to you, my wife has never said to me in the middle of when I'm working outside, hey, hon, would you like me to create you a sandwich? <laughs> has anyone ever? I mean, even the sandwich artists and stuff like that, they don't say that. Come on, what do we say? Hey, can you... Make me a sandwich, because that's what we do. We make things. We don't create anything. God creates stuff, but we make things. And that's why he says, watch this, be careful 
that you don't make for yourself any idols because it's in your control. So what is an idol? Let me say it to you this way. I think that's why we're so good at making ourselves after what other people want because we're good at making things. So if they don't like us, we'll make ourselves into something else so that we'll be like what they like so that way they'll like us and that way we fit in. That's why in Christianity, you've got to be real careful about this, and you don't have to be dogmatic or, or super rude or anything like that. But as a Christian, you, you can't conform, as the Scriptures say, to this world. Think about it for a moment. The reason why Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why does he have to say that? Because we are notorious for making ourselves into something someone else will accept and we'll feel better about ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about being stretched or anything like that. Paul tells us, I'm not talking about growing. A coach will stretch you, man. He's not going to let you sit on the side with you and say, I can't do any more push-ups. He's going to say, get down there, boy, do some more push-ups. I can't run anymore. He's going to say, run harder. That, that's different. That's stretching you. That's growing you. That's completely different. That is not you going, well, I'm not going to conform to what he wants me to be. No, that's called being rebellious. He knows what you can do. Get with the program, right? Paul says it like this. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, Philippians 3.13, but this one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call that's in Christ Jesus. Stretching myself, I'm going to grow myself, I'm going to be what God's called me to be. That's completely different than you and I making ourselves to be what other people want. The scriptures say this, I've become all things that, to all men that I might win some. Big difference between that and I've become all things to all men that I might please some. Do y'all hear what I'm saying, right? So God's called you, he's given you this image that we're supposed to bear, which is really Jesus Christ. That's why he says, don't make for yourself any other image that you worship. In other words, don't become less than who I created you to be. And so many times we do this. We, we, we will give in to what other people want so that we fit in to what they like. You know, I mean, like in school, the pressure of school, like if you're not in school anymore, you've got to remember this. You know what it was like when you were in school? The pressure that students are under to fit in? I mean, it's ridiculous. Somebody comes in and they got a new pair of something. So now you feel like, well, man, well, you know, and some kid picks on because they don't have it. And then they got to feel like, the, it's ridiculous. It's society is built that way so that you're designed, well, man, I guess I got to become like this so I fit in with everybody else. And the reality is every time we do that, we lose this part of ourselves that God created. He wants you to be who he created. Now, the thing about idols is this. Idols are made by humans, and they are designed to help you fit in. They're designed to help you fit in. That's the whole point of them. They're designed by humans for one purpose, so you fit in to our group. And so God says, don't make for yourself anything like that that you're going to have to fit in to compromise my creation. I made you in my image. You don't need another image to be like. Be who I created you to be. So Ezekiel, listen to this. 
Ezekiel 36, 27 says this, I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinance. Ordinances could be commandments, same word as prescription. I'll put my spirit in you so that, guess what? You can do what I'm asking you to do. Watch this though. Do you realize in their culture that they went into these idols, their belief was this, once they carved them out, that that spirit would enter into that idol, that God, they called it a God, it was actually a demon, would enter into this idol and now they could worship them. And God says, why worship an idol? Man, listen, if you want to talk about an image, I put my spirit on the inside of you. You don't have to be like everything else out there. You just follow me, and I'll make you who I've created you to be. My spirit's in you. You don't have to form yourself after somebody else or be like somebody else. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a mentor, a coach, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. But here's the one thing I realized about a mentor and a leader and a coach. If they're a real mentor, a real leader, and a real coach, This is what will always happen. They will always lead you to God. If it's an idol, it'll always lead you to them. Bottom line, every single time, a good mentor or a good leader will always point you somewhat higher. If they point themselves to them, if they point you to them and say, this is the level, this is it, this is all that you can attain to, guess what? That's an idol. Because there's always something higher. A good leader, good mentor is always going to point you up higher. So I was talking to this, this Jewish rabbi this week. Very interesting conversation. We were talking about some other stuff, and I asked him this question because I was studying about idols. I thought, how do they apply to our life? Because, I mean, I don't think any of you, like I said, I don't think any of you have any of these little things carved up somewhere sitting on your mantle at home, and you go home every day, like, mm, you know, I don't think any of y'all do that, right? So how does it apply in our life? What bothered me about this word was the story of Jacob and his wife, if you remember the story, Jacob is, this is after Esau and him has gotten over their spat, but he's leaving Laban's household. And the story goes on that Jacob is in this caravan, all of his animals and goats and all this kind of stuff he's heading out. Laban comes running up behind and says, you guys stole something from me. Said, what, what did we steal? And he says, you stole the household idols. Now these are supposed to be families. I mean, you know, Laban maybe not so much, but still it's, it's kind of weird when you read that. But what made it more odd was Jacob's wife is the one who stole them. And she hid them in the saddlebags. I looked up this word, the word idol. It's a weird, strange word. It's a word called teraphim. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. I'll put it on the screen for you. And it comes from this word that means something very precious to me. And it's a word called rapha. You ever heard of this Jehovah rapha? The Lord thy God who heals thee. You've heard it, Jehovah, we'll say Yireh, Jehovah Jireh. You've probably heard, that's what we say it, but it's Yireh. It means the God who sees you and provides. He has a name, he has a word behind a lot of his, his, his name is Jehovah, but he has names that describe who he is. And I saw this and it bothered me. I, I t- so I taught this guy, I said, it's really strange. Why would a household idol, it's, it's wor- the word that it comes from, the word teraphim, why would it come from the word ratha? which means healer. He looks at me, doesn't blink an eye. He goes, false healer. I said, what? He goes, false healer. I said, what do you mean a false healer? He said, well, in the culture today, he said, we all, kind of, all have things in our lives we think is going to bring healing, and it doesn't. It's a false healer. And I thought, so I just for fun, I thought, what do you think some idols would be in our culture today? He looks at me, starts laughing, goes, bulldogs, falcons. I was like, 
Uh, what else you got, huh? Cars, houses, boats, trains, planes, automobiles, all that kind of stuff. Like, come on. Why you got to lead up with the dogs, baby? Come on. Are you, you know, because he's not from around here or something, and he's picking, right? He's laughing and cutting up. And obviously, you can watch your ball game, whatever. That's not, that's not the point. The point is, anything that gets to the place where it's competing with God for your joy, for your passion, for your peace, it's now become an idol. Put this definition on the screen for you here. An idol is anything that gives you the impression it can satisfy a need in your life. If it makes us feel it will bring happiness, joy, or peace without God, it's an idol. Just let that simmer in for a minute. I know it's simmering in here, but just let let that simmer for a moment. Right? We're cooking this morning. I mean, for sure. I'm going to let you out just about five minutes. Don't worry. It's hotter up here than it is down there. I promise you. Them jokers right there are like a thousand watts a piece. It feels like I'm in an oven. I feel like a chicken right now cooking, you know. Y'all might smell me right now. I might smell like, you know, I'm baking up here. But anything that causes you to feel like I've got to have that in order to have peace, joy, or happiness might be an idol. It might be an idol. That's why peace is so important. It's so important. I'll break it down for you in three areas. He gave me some of this, and we were talking about some of these. So I just broke it down in three, three quick areas for you. You can sum up in a few words, possessions. We'll talk about possessions briefly, right? Our stuff can take the place of God. It just can. I mean, listen, if, if my stuff, if I feel better about my stuff, if it makes me feel good, you know, like I'm happy. And I ain't talking about, listen, I got a truck, okay? My truck, I like my truck. It makes me feel happy in a sense. You know what I'm saying? I like my truck. I don't plan on getting rid of my truck. I had my mechanic wants to buy it from me. I was like, I ain't son, because it's paid for, Jack. I, it's the best thing I got. I love that thing, man. Don't pay for it. It's paid for. You know, I love it. I put some money to fix it. And you know what? He's like, man, I like, I could buy that truck for him. I know you want to buy my truck. It's paid for. I ain't getting rid of my truck. I like it. But watch this. If God wanted me to get rid of it, I'd drop it tomorrow like it's a hot potato. It, does, it means nothing. It's nuts and bolts and steel, and it rusts. You understand what I'm saying? You have to fix it. It breaks down. You just have to fix it again. No matter what brand you get, we're all brand-savvy people. It don't matter what number you got, what brand you got, I promise you, it'll break down eventually, right? Because it, it just doesn't last. Possessions, though. Are there any, let me just ask you, are there any possessions in your life where you say, man, without this, I wouldn't be happy? It might be an idol. How about this, a position in life? How about this? You, you know, you're, you're great. You're a great athlete. You're just striving for this position. You want to get this spot, and you're working hard, but you just can't seem to break through this one spot. You want it, but you can't get it. But you're great at the position you play, and you're great for the team where you're at, but you want this, and you can't get there. Is it affecting your happiness? Can you be happy where you're at right now? If I don't get the promotion, can I still have joy where I'm at right now? If I don't get the new job, can God, can I still, can God entrust me to be happy with what I do have right now? Positions, a role, a job, a sport. If I get this, then I'll feel more significance. If I don't feel significance now, I won't feel it when I get that. And this is the one that I started out with, and I want you to hear this, is people. If you feel like you have to have a relationship to make you feel better, be careful. Be careful. Now, if you're married, 
that relationship ought to make you better, right? You know what? That one there, you ought to strengthen that one, work on that one kind of thing, your kids, your family, all that kind of stuff. What I'm saying, though, is be careful of people who manipulate and make you feel like you must have them in order to be better in life. That's not true. Because you have God, and he should be more than enough because he's put his spirit in you. You have God in you. He put his image, if you will, in you. So you don't have to carve out something else for yourself. We are his image bearers if you want to know the truth about it. The reality is, though, when people want you to kind of only connect with them to make you feel like you're worth something, there's a problem there. It's not healthy. You should be able to be who you are, and they just love you anyway. And I mean that, and I know in our culture today, the statements are very broad when we say, I am who I was made to be. Let me just say, I'm talking in the context of who God created you to be, okay? God created us male and female. He created us with a purpose, with significance. And anytime you try to change who he created you to be, to meet someone else's expectation, you are losing sight on the beautiful creation that he made in you. So don't yield to that. Jeremiah 6 says it like this, it's verse 13. He says, for, for, for the least of them, even to the greatest of them, there's always been false healers everywhere. Listen to what he says. Everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They've healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Let me say something to you. I got some people in my life that tell me straight up. Do you know what I mean? Like, they will tell me, I can talk to them for about five minutes, and they'll say the truth to me. They don't give me peace, peace if there's no peace, peace. Do you know what I'm talking about? And if all you ever hear is people say to you, peace, peace, you're great, you're an amazing person, you're wonderful, you're awesome. If that's all they ever say, yeah, it might be a little false healer going on there. Because I don't know, my wife doesn't say all that stuff to me all the time. Just, I don't know if anybody else is married in here that can relate, but I love her, but she doesn't always say, oh, honey, you're just amazing. You're great. And when I walk in the door, she doesn't say, like, I'm so glad you're home. The day has just been better because of your presence. She doesn't do that. She checks me at times and says, you know, you got a bad attitude. You know what? Have you thought about what you said here? Did you think about this? Hey, did you? No, she, we have a great relationship, but she doesn't just let me get by with things. Be careful of people who tell you all the time you're so wonderful and never check on anything else. So let's wrap up with this last thought. When God said this in Exodus, he said, you should not make yourself any idol, any likeness of what's in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shouldn't worship them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But I show loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let me just say this, only God can truly heal. Only God. Not a possession, not a position in life, and not any people. Only God. That's why he's called Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord who heals. He doesn't need an idol. Listen, we see pictures of the cross, and we do, because it reflects, the cross reflects our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Yes, but we don't worship the cross, do we? Think about it. We don't, we don't even worship. Think about what we worship. This is the most amazing thing when you think about it. When we come to church, who is it that we worship? 
And we can say it's God, but think about this. Who's the one that we give praise to? It's who? Come on, it's Jesus, isn't it? It's Je- Every time we talk about it, it's Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what? I'll draw all men into me. Every time we lift up the name of Jesus, what are you doing? You don't need an idol because God made an image of someone that you could worship and never get entangled with the things of this life. But guess what? There's no image physically. We worship Jesus. That's why Colossians says it like this. Watch this. Chapter 1, verse 15 says, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And everything was created through him and for him because he's not a false healer. He's the real deal. So this morning, what I want to challenge all of us with this morning is this. If you're here and you are allowing the society around you to recreate who you are, to reform who you are into something God never intended, I'm saying this morning, he wants to heal that. He wants to change you back and get you back to who he created you to be, a child of God in his image. There is freedom. There's no pressure. I'm just telling you right now, the world will put all this pressure on you to be something and to have this and to become that. And in Christ, there's no pressure. That's why he says, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. Oh, come on. In America, rest would be a good word, wouldn't it? I mean, it's almost like a cuss word today. You talk about rest and people go, I got got so much to do. I got got rest. Jeez, bro, you need to take something like you need like a freak out pill or something like that. What rest is good. I don't know about you, but listen, our house is kind of upside down right now. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, we'd love to be out of that situation and fix it. But we know there's a process we're going through. But in the midst of that, there is what? Rest. My kids, you know what? They don't even care. They're upset because we're gonna move or something. You know, they're like, well, do we have to? I'm like, had you, was you alive the last two times this happened? Did, were you the same children that were in our house? They don't care. Well, yeah, I just, I'm just going to kind of miss it. It's going to kind of be. I'm like, me too, but I don't want to go through this again. Do you? Well, no, but I really like my room. <laughs> it's on the third floor. No wonder. Rest. Why? Because Haley and I just decided that, you know what? We're not going to make it a turmoil in their life. We're going to make the best of it, which is what you do when you go through things. And we're going to let God lead us through and have his way. But in the midst of it, we're going to have some peace. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come up this morning. And I want you to hear this scripture as I read this to you when I say he wants to heal you. And I mean this with all the sincerity of my heart, guys. God created you beautifully the way that you are. His personality that he gave you, you might need to have it redeemed. You might need to submit that thing to Jesus, you know. But he gave it to you for a reason. I've had to learn that. There's a reason God gave me the personality I have. You know what? And I've had to give God some parts of that 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 aren't healthy. But some parts of it that I realize that are from him. Okay, God, how how do I yield this to you in a better way? But God's created each of you uniquely Jeremiah says it like this, you're uniquely and wonderfully made. He didn't make a mistake. He created you 
perfectly the way that you are. He just wants to transform you to more, into more of his image. So Jesus says this in Luke 4. I'll read this as we close out today. Jesus said, the one that we worship, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Well, how many of y'all could use some of the Lord's favor today? I could. Amen. He rolled up the scroll. So he took, he took what he had, the scriptures. He rolled up the scroll. And it says this. He handed it back to the attendant. And he just sat down. He just sits down, right? Oh, it is definitely cooler down here. Oh, wow. Could have sat here and done this today. He sat down. Now, that means nothing for most of us in this room if somebody sits down in front of you. But it means everything in their culture. Because what it signified is he sat down signifying it is finished. Today, he goes on to read this. We'll put it on the screen for you there. Look at what it says. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently because they know what this means. To sit down signifies something spiritual in their lives, in their culture. He goes on to say this. He says, then he began to speak to them. And he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, I say that because that was over 2,000 years ago he quoted that. It was a prophetic word from Isaiah that he spoke and fulfilled. And he did exactly what he said he did all throughout Jerusalem, Judea, all throughout Capernaum. He healed the multitudes spiritually and physically. He didn't just heal physically, he healed spiritually too. The woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus released her. You understand how what a serious issue that would have been. And I'm not talking about the woman. He released her, but had they brought the men in too, they'd have been in the same boat. He would have released them too, but they didn't do that, right? You understand? There was two parties in this whole thing. Jesus released her because she knew she was guilty, but she she gave it to God. I'm saying this today to all of us, okay? I don't know what you got going on today, but I want to I want to pray for you. And I'm telling you, stop letting this world conform you to it. Jesus, God created you beautifully the way you are. Let him heal you today. So I don't know what it is, but whatever God needs to heal, would you let him do that today? I'm going to pray a simple prayer, but we're going to sing a song of worship in a moment. I just want to pray a prayer right now for you. And so why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment. Dear Jesus, you said in your word that you came to heal the brokenhearted. You came to set the captives free. You came to open the eyes that were blind. You came to bring the favor of the Lord, the year of the jubilee of the, the Lord. <clears throat> and Lord, then you said that this word was fulfilled. And so God, I pray for every person in this room right now that is here today and they have allowed this world to conform them into something that you never created. Maybe they've allowed another Christian to try and conform them into something you never created. I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would heal. Take away that pressure to be something they never were created to be. I pray in the name of Jesus you would give them strength today to just be who you created them to be. 
that right now by your spirit, Lord, you speak a word to them. You confirm this, Lord. God, and you would heal the need, Lord, to be something else than what you created them to be. I pray and I call out, Lord, that you would show them who you've made them to be. God, give them the understanding of who you created them to be. Lord, the the giftings that they have, God, they're from you. They don't have to be something someone else is. They can be who you created them to be. Lord, move on their hearts today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, feel free to pay it forward and share this podcast with someone else. Thanks for listening.